Thank you very much, Roy Butler. Thanks to the Queens Community Council and to Lander College um, for men and for women, uh, which Roy Butler spearheads the um, the community outreach efforts. Um, you know, the island here tonight is a little less than and Chazak, of course. I apologize. It's, uh, can't leave Chazak out. Chazak is a major uh, force to reckon with in, in the Queens community. Uh, who really galvanize um, primarily the Bukharian community, but their borders are spreading out rapidly, and uh, and they have a lot to be proud of in terms of how much Tyro they spread on a daily basis. Um, as I was saying, the uh, you know we put out a lot of chairs. I didn't put it out, but people put out a lot of chairs tonight, and sometimes that's not a good idea. Uh, we stacked a couple of them up. But I don't consider the turnout to be such a, a failure, if I could use such a strong term, because on Hanukkah I count Menorahs also. And we have um, a nice number of Minyanim of Menorahs here, so uh, I consider it an overall success. If we count people and Menorahs together, I think I could still have my pride intact. I'm going to go home really feeling good about myself this evening. Um, it's hard to follow Rabbi Tenenbaum because he's such a uh, he's so clear and he's so uh, uh, he presents things so beautifully and we've had the privilege of hearing him so often uh, in yeshiva not often enough perhaps but on the various Yom Tevim that, uh, that I've had the privilege to hear him speak um, always with that same signature clarity and beauty and, and being Megala um, exposing a, an, a new idea that really most people would just not even notice. So it's a very big privilege for me to stand here after Rabbi Tenenbaum, and uh, I really appreciate the fact that he brought his whole family also. That means a lot to me, too. He adds a couple more seats. Um, and that they stayed also. Normally, I think, you know, my family would probably leave as soon as, as, soon as I finish speaking, but it's very nice that, they, uh, that they're staying for the evening. Um, there's a minute Yisrael that um, on Hanukkah people give out Hanukkah gelt. Hanukkah gelt is something I think we all, as kids, you know, probably look forward to. As adults, we sort of don't, but um, it's something that it's a minute Yisrael. And the question is, where did this minute come from? So there's a mug in Avram. The Magen Avram says that the minute comes from back in the olden days, Aniim used to gather, poor people used to gather just like they did on Purim. Purim is a time that's you know, well known that Aniim, apparently on Hanukkah uh, also, Aniim, poor people would never come and they would, it would be a big collecting time. And so people already had their hands out giving um, to Aniim. And the minig sort of trickled down to Katanim as well. Rabyakov Kamenetsky adds another theory. He says that in the Emes Lyakov, he says that the reason why we give to Mechanika is because they used to give Rabbeim in Yeshiva. I think some do. My wife, I think, uh, you know, doesn't tell me about it, but she gives checks to Rabbeim also. Um, and, uh, and so that minig of giving to a Rebbe, um, or giving to a Morai, I assume, 
um, also trickle down to Ketanim, and so that's why we give money to children as well on Hanukkah. There's an interesting minig that's brought down from the stipler. The stipler guy used to make a Hanukkah party where he would distribute Hanukkah money, Mois Hanukkah, on the fifth night of Hanukkah. Every year, it's a funny thing. You think, you know, the exciting night of Hanukkah generally is the first night. You know, that's when everybody's all pumped up. Tonight we heard that Zeiss Hanukkah is also, uh, you know, there's obviously also great significance to Zeiss Hanukkah, which is tonight. Why do you think the stipler would have chosen the fifth night of Hanukkah of all nights to, uh, to give my uh, Hanukkah, to make Hanukkah as it's called? Anyone want to take a stab at it? No. Excellent. Because the one night of the year of Hanukkah that can never ever for some reason fall on Shabbos is the fifth night. And so it would never run into a problem of it was a clear way. It was that one day, this is every single year, it's going to be the fifth night. There's no rearranging the schedule. There's no need to send out invitations. You know, the site would probably had, you know, 100 or 200 grandchildren. So to start, you know, he didn't have email. So it was increasingly difficult to, you know, to start calling all these people. So every, the fifth night of Hanukkah, you make it the second night of Hanukkah, could be Shabbos, could not be Shabbos. Fifth night is a, a, a night that's always going to be a good night to get out of Hanukkah Gelt. I wanted to suggest this evening another reason, perhaps a new reason, why we give out Hanukkah Gelt. What's the significance of giving out Hanukkah Gelt, giving out money to children on Hanukkah? What is the significance of money and Hanukkah, and why when we put these two things together is it such a, an important minagiso? But the Rambam writes in Hilchas Hanukkah, in Paragimel, Bebayis Sheni, during the Second Temple era, Kishemalcha Yavan Gazer Gezeris Al Yisrael, when the kingship of Yavan, the kings of Yavan, the Greek Empire, they enacted decrees against the Jewish people. Uvatlu Dasam, for they really clamped down on all forms of religious worship amongst the Jewish people. They prohibited us to study Torah and to engage in mitzvahs. And they spread their hands on the money of the Jews. They sort of touched the money of the Jews and they defiled both the money and the daughters of Kal Yisrael. We'll discuss what this means in a second. And they really embittered and oppressed the Jewish lives. And they created a lot of pressure upon them. Ultimately, after seeing how much we, are, we were going through during this terrible period of Jewish history after the Shabbat came and had Rachmanis on us. But what does this mean? Pashtu Yadam That there was an oppression against the Jewish money. That there was a focus, there was a concerted effort to attack the Jewish money, to attack the finances of the Jewish people. And this created a Lachat Stadol. That's not too difficult to understand. 
we see in the times that we're living how oppressive the economy could be, how people don't have jobs, how people can't afford to pay the schar how people can't afford really to pay their mortgage and they often, Rahman Litzan, lose their homes as a result of the lachat. So the Greeks were no fools. The Greeks understood that if they really wanted to wreak havoc against Jewish life, they would have to start with the money. The money is such an integral thing in Jewish life because we need money, everything. It's no secret that the world goes around with money. That's a major part of Jewish life to pay as it is for everybody's life. But Jews in particular need to buy matzahs and to buy wine and to buy and to buy meat and to pay for scharlima, tuition. We don't have public schools. There's a tremendous need for money. And the Greeks understood that if they were able to somehow oppress the Jews with money, that would be a lachat skadol. That would make the Jewish re- resolve somehow crack and perhaps crum- crumble. But what does it mean when it says, that they touched, they tried to extend their hand against the Jewish money and the daughters of Paul Yisrael? I saw once a beautiful pshat in a sefer called Nachal Mayim. Nachal Mayim is a sefer that's written by Blazer Ginsburg on Agadetah. It's a, a big rub in Flatbush. I don't know if it's his own bard or if he quotes it from somebody, I don't remember, but he says a beautiful bard. There's a Gemara at the end of Mesecha Sukkah. At the end of Mesecha Sukkah, there's a Mishnah that describes how one of the um, houses of the Kaihanim were not allowed to have certain privileges that the other Mishmaris, the other groups of Kaihanim were. We're not going to go into what exactly it was. It was primarily three things that all of the other priestly families were entitled to, but this family of Bilgos was not entitled to. And the Gemara asks why. What was so different about this family? What did they do to deserve this terrible treatment in the Beis HaMikdosh? And the Gemara says that there was a certain girl. Her name was Miriam Bas Bilgos. And she, this girl Miriam, was, she lived during this time of Hanukkah when the Greeks were oppressing the Jews in Eretz Israel. And she intermarried. She was a, from a, a Baskayin. She was a very chashiva miyuchasas. And she went during this era of Jewish history and she actually went and found a Greek tsar, a Greek general, and she married him. And when the Greeks went into the Makam HaMikdash and they defiled the Beis HaMikdash, so this Miriam Basbilgas comes in, storms in together with the troops into the Makla Mikdash. She runs to the Mizbeach. She kicks it with her sandal. And she says, Lucus, Lucus, which is a, it's a way of saying fox in another language. Fox, fox, which is a way of describing the Mizbeach. How long are you going to steal Jewish money? And this was obviously, you know, a very big, a terrible thing that she did, that she would have the chutzpah to go into the base of Mikdash, first of all, go in, kick the Makam HaMizbeach after having intermarried, and screaming at the Mizbeach as if it was the one that was taking away, sapping up all the Jewish money for bringing Karbanis, 
and we were spending kilo like all of our money was going to Karbanas, to sacrifices, she's saying, how long are you going to steal Jewish money? So the Sefer Nachomayim says that that's the shot in the Rambam. Where did the Rambam get this from? That during the time of this Greek invasion of Eretz Yisrael, that they were Pashtu Yadam Bimemaynam Uvnaiseyem? Very simple. The Makar, the source of the Rambam, is from this Gemara. Because we see that there was something to do with Jewish money that she had a problem with, which caused her to go off the derech. So if the Greeks were able to somehow affect the Jewish mind as far as what the expenditures, how much they cost, the money that we're spending on Jewish rituals, and that made her go off the derech to the degree that she actually went and married a Greek general, clearly there, there was this ability for the Greeks to invade the minds and the hearts of the Jews in terms of money, which led, in turn, to being able to take Jewish girls away from their home because they were brainwashed that, look at how great the Greeks are living with all of their money, and look at the Jews, how poor we are, and we want to get the bigger, better deal. Now, the Gemara over there asks a very important question in Sukkah. The Gemara asks, why is it that the whole family, the whole tribe of Bildas was punished for this one girl. It's one girl. What's the big deal? Why, why are you punishing an entire Mishmar for one girl that went off the Darach? I mean, it's unfortunate. It's a terrible story. But maybe it's an anomaly. Why do we have to like make such a big deal that the entire, maybe hundreds of Kaihanim were penalized for all time because of this Miriam Bas Bildas? And the Gemara says that it's very simple. Because for a girl to come and say this, for a girl to say such a statement, nothing, children, and I guess she was a young person, children don't, and it's a very important you said in Chinuch, children don't invent things on their own. Maybe today, you know, with internet and television and cable and, and radio, maybe they could get some outside influence, but certainly not back then. The only people that they were hearing things from was their parents. And so if the girl is saying something, clearly it was something that she heard in her home. She got a certain tainted form of finuch that she heard from her parents. And this is what caused her to repeat this to her when she came into the Mizbeach. And so what we learn from this is that there was something that the Greeks were not only able to affect this girl and her ability to, to intermarry because of the money, but the money absorbed and went into the bloodstream of all the Jews. We were all very oppressed with money during the time of the Greeks. They were able to somehow take away our money, make us lose a lot of it, and because of that we were under such pressure that it was hard to keep our own children from slipping away from us because of this pressure that the Greeks were, were putting upon our pocketbooks. Just as an aside, and this is really what I want to stress this evening, is that we see from this so far tonight that there's a very grave importance for us when we're raising our children and our grandchildren to not overemphasize how hard it is to be a Jew, how many financial 
burdens there are involved in being Jewish. And it's very difficult because sometimes, you know, you're sitting around the kitchen table and you're paying bills and you're wondering, you know, why are the bills so high? Why are we spending so much money in the supermarket? Why is the, uh, you know, why are the tuition bills so high? And the children sit around and they, maybe they're not sitting in the kitchen, but they hear. And they are very influenced by these conversations. And a parent has to realize that whatever we are saying in the presence of our children, whether we think they're paying attention or not, they're getting it. And they're understanding the burdens of what we are conveying to one another in terms of being a Jew. This is something that Ramesha Feinstein was famous for in one of the speeches that I bring in the book, Great Jewish Speeches. Um, Ramesha has a famous speech that he says... He always used to say this. I mean, not that I heard it personally from him ever, but people that were Talmudim of Ramesha, or people that were even casually, you know, went to Agoda conventions or, or learned by Ramesha in any form, say, this is something that he said constantly, that the reason why so many Jews went off to Derech in America, and we know that we lost generations of Jews in the early 1900s, is all because the parents who were Meisher Nefesh to keep Shabbos they convey to their children the thought that as a shvert it's difficult. We're Jewish, we're doing it, we're keeping Shabbos, we're losing our jobs every Friday when we have to tell our boss that you know we have to go home for Shabbos, we have to look for a brand new job on Sunday. But when we come home and we're speaking to our wife and in front of our kids, we're basically, we're not showing the joy of being Jewish as much as we are expressing to them how difficult it is. And that, says Ramesha, is enough to turn an entire generation off. Because the kids see it, they say, listen, maybe it worked for the parents. Maybe they were able to live with it because they, they grew up with this in Europe. But we're in the golden Medina. We're in a, the golden land of America, the land of opportunity. I don't want to live with, a, with a, a yoke on my shoulders with this tremendous oil of Asishver Tzayni. If it's so difficult to be a Jew, I'll leave it. And that's what they did. And so it's very important that when we're being mechanic, our children and our grandchildren, our mishpachas, that we never do what the parents of Miriam Basbilgas did, that they basically conveyed to her this concept of that it's so expensive to be a Jew and that the Mizbeach is taking away money and the shul membership dues are taking away money and the yeshivas and the kailim and all the tzedakahs and it's impossible to make ends meet. If a child hears that and they walk away with a very, very bad taste in their mouth and we don't know what the next step will bring Khalilah. And so it's very important with all the things that we are so focused on in Chinuch, and there are so many things to be focused on, how to give a geschmack and mitzvahs and limanat taira and all of this, and especially in this day and age that we're competing against so many other foreign influences. Uh, you know, it's very hard to compete against all of the multimedia that's out there. If a child is used to playing Nintendo and Game Boy and Xbox and all these things, it's very hard for them to automatically find a geschmack in sitting and learning Abayi Barabo because it, the, the, the battle is so, it's so lopsided almost. Somebody once told me that he went to a Putner and he asked her Putner if it would be okay to like use high-tech gadgetry to be mechanech children. You know, in the olden days, if you look in like the old Mishnayis, Mavueris books, you know, to teach Mishnayis, if you look in the really old, like, Erevin or Sukkah, you'll see, like, stick figures 
Right? Anyone you know, I'm talking about. If you're if you're of a certain generation, you know, my generation and above, you, you would know that in the old days it was like not cool at all. Like the books are really, really not graphically attractive at all. And then, so they asked their partner, would there be something wrong with us, like really, like making it 3D, or you know, using really beautiful graphics, like today, you know, you look, you can go into a farm store and buy these farm like on Aravin that looks like straight out of a video game. It shows all of the the mavois and the lefties and the and the you know all the shasayachas, the shasarab sukkah, Shabbos, all these messiah beautiful pictures, and it's so helpful. You know, when you're teaching, is there something wrong with that? And he sort of felt like a little guilty, like maybe we shouldn't be bringing this stuff into the base matters. Maybe that's something that should be off limits. And Rav Hutner looks at this Talmud and he says, "Tell me." Are they still, is anyone in the world, any army in the world still fighting a battle with bows and arrows? You're fighting an army, let's say, that have nuclear missiles or have, you know, surface terror missiles and bazookas and tanks. You can't fight anymore with bows and arrows. You need to, you need to up the ante a little bit. And if the guy and in the, and the street has such high tech, beautiful visions of, you know, of worlds. I mean, if you look at a Game Boy and you see, you know, what, what's going on in, in all the alumnus on the Game Boy, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, you know, you go from one world to another world and, uh, you know, beautiful. So how do you, how do you expect a child to really ought to be in love with Gemara if they don't see that same stimulation from Gemara? But there is, so we're really working hard in the field of Finnuch to try to up the ante and to try to make it a little bit more palatable. But there's one thing that we have to be careful about, and that's when we're talking about money, which unfortunately is what married couples speak a lot about money. Because money is a major thing, and money is not always, you know, we don't have a money tree growing in our backyard, and so it's difficult, and, you know, and you have to talk about it. And it's something that used to parents, you know, are often very fight about. They're, we're pressured and we're worried about it. And so a child that sees that, and associates that with Yiddishkeit because we have slipped a couple of times that, you know, something about chinuch and something about how expensive it is to be a Jew and how expensive it is to make yantif and how expensive it is to go shopping for, for Hanukkah. All these things a child hears and they think, you know, oh, so this, it's not so gishmak to be a Yid. I thought it was beautiful. Now I see the, you know, I see the, the underbelly of, of, of the yantif. And that's something we have to really, really work hard on being mechanic, our children, about money and about the holiness of money and the ability to spend it in the right way with a smile on our face and with a, with a joy when it comes to doing pyramids. I'll tell you a beautiful maisa that took place with Chaim Brim. Chaim Brim was one of the Gedalim in Yerushalayim. He was there just a few years ago. But poor as poor could be. You know, we speak about people living in abject poverty. Or Chaim Brim was a person, a Yid, a Tzadik, who lived mamish bedachos. He, he had nothing. He had a big mishpacha. He had a rebbetzin. He had, a, but he had, he had mamish nothing. Now, and he, and he, it was difficult. Life is difficult. So he can also need money. And if they don't have money, it makes life difficult. So what happened was. There was a mashkiach in his son's yeshiva. And mashkiach came to his son and said to Chaim Brim's son, I have a great opportunity for you. I want to offer you a tutoring job. 
And, you know, in yeshiva, yeshiva guys, that's the one opportunity that you really want. You know, it's a great opportunity. You can make money. It's fairly easy. You know, you make, I don't know, 20 30 $40 an hour if you're lucky. And you get to stay in the base medrash. It's a little chinuch experience. It's wonderful. He says, I'd like you to take this job. I think you'd be great at it. So, the Bach, you know, Chaim Brimson was shiving. He wasn't really naturally looking for a job. But it came and fell into his lap. And he said, you know what? I have a good idea. I'm going to make this money, I'm going to give it to my father. And that way my father will make his life so much easier. He has so many values for the money. If I bring home a couple hundred dollars a month, that would certainly help him. So at the end of the month, he brings home like five, six hundred dollars, which is like a rod. that's basically the annual income of a Chaim Brim. And he says, Tati, he says, I brought home this money, it's for you. He says, where did you get this money from? says, well, I took, Mashkiach came to me, and I, I took a job in, in, in tutoring a, a nice young boy, and every day they pay me at least 20, 30 shekel, and it added up, and this is what I want Tati to have it, so Tati should have a little bit more minuchas anefesh. Reb Chaim Grim stood up, and he said, with all of his might that he could muster, he says, we don't take money for Tyra. Learning Tyra does not is not a source of revenue for us. I want you to go back to the Mashiach and give him back every single shekel. We do not take money from learning Tyra. Nothing, nothing for Tyra. Tyra is pure. Tyra must remain pure. There is absolutely no... You can find money other ways, fine. But not from teaching Tyra. We don't take money for teaching Tyra. The son was already taken aback and he ran. He didn't walk. He ran back to the Mashiach. He gave him back the money. And he continued tutoring the boy, but for no money. Fast forward maybe 20, 30 years later, Chaim Brim was nifter. It's going back just a few years. The Mashkiach comes in to the Shiva and sits down in front of Chaim Brim's son, his, his old Talmud. And he says, now that your father was nifter, I want to tell you a little bit of the background of that story that happened to you so many years ago when you were teaching, when you were tutoring that buffer. Says that wasn't Bakrai, that didn't just happen by chance. Says your father called me in. Rukhaimbrim called me in and says, Listen, he says, I need to be Madras my son. I want to teach him a lesson in with money and how to look at money and how not to be so mash of money and how to understand that Tyra is like a million miles above a dollar bill. Says, but I'm, I have no money to do this with. If I was very wealthy, I could say, you know, we're not doing this, and we're not doing that, we're not going here, we're not going there, we're just giving tzedakah, we're just doing chesed and taira, but I don't have any money. So I have to figure out a way to convey this message to my son to be mechanism about money. And so what I want you to do is, I want you to arrange a tutoring job for him, so he'll raise, the, he'll get money, and you'll, I'll give you the money, I'll come up with the $500 or whatever that you'll give him. And then, at the end of the month, I know him, he'll come and give me that money. And I will scream Chaim at him, that we don't take money for teaching Tyra. He'll have learned this lesson well, and then he'll give you back the money, you give me back the money. And this is how Chaim Brim was mechanech his child about money. Money is something that we also need to mechanech our children about. How to look at money, how to view money, how to be mastered money, but yet how to keep priorities straight in life. 
and how not to put too much emphasis on money and make kids paranoid and neurotic about money. We might be neurotic about money because it's natural. We have to pay bills. But don't let children get neurotic about money. And don't let them equate money with Torah mitzvahs except in, in terms of giving tzedakah and being and all the good stuff that money could do but in terms of how to not allow them to get swept up with greed and with and with desire for money 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 that's not something that we should be teaching our children at all we have to separate the Kaidesh from the Chal there's one of my favorite stories about the Rav Dessler Rav Eliyahu Dessler the the Mishkim Eliyahu after the war, after the Second World War, Dessler was in England. And he, of course he founded the, the great Kyle in, in Gateshead and eventually he he, uh, he became the Mashkiach in Panovich in his last years. But he created a whole Mapecha in England. He was a, a leader and a builder and, a, and a, an amazing force in, in England. And what happened was that after the war things became very devalued. People were people needed cash in a desperate way, and people were selling anything that they could to raise money. They needed cash, so a Talmud came to a desperate, so a wealthy Talmud. I think I know who it was, but I don't. I'm not sure. And he was a very wealthy Talmud. He came to a desperate, and he said to a desperate, "Rabbi, I'm going to an auction this afternoon in London. It's a Judaic auction. People given that need to raise money in a desperate way. They're selling lifters, they're selling minayers, they're selling backers, they're selling pushkas. Whatever they're selling, it's mamish pennies on the dollar, or pen, pence on the pound, or whatever they would say in England. And uh, there is something, and I, it's very interesting just to go to see. You know, if anyone has ever been to an auction of any sort, my father used to take me as a child to, to Sotheby's auction or Christie's auction. It's just a fascinating, you know, event to behold, to see how much money is being spent for these, these, uh, Tashmisha Kedusha. So Desper was a person that was interested in the world, and he says, yeah, I'd love to come along for the ride. So they drove a couple of hours to, to London, and they get out, and they sit, and, you know, the Talmud gets a paddle, you know, everyone gets a paddle by the auction for the number on it. And all of a sudden, the first thing that's up for auction, and Rav Dessler is sitting next to the Talmud, the first thing up for auction is a, you know, a 300-year-old Menorah from Austria. Normally, this Menorah would go for uh, $20,000, $30,000, like Mamash, a massive, beautiful old Menorah with Yichas from a big Rebbe. And the bidding starts at $20. $20,000 for $35,000, $40,000, ooh, like the bidding is like, you know, uh, $80, $100, but, but it wasn't getting anywhere near the levels that it, that it should be. Uh, finally, it's like $200, the Talmud, it's a joke, and he gets all excited, he's like, I can't believe this. And he picks up his paddle, again and again and again, he wins it, like $250, for like a crazy, silver, beautiful manure. And the Talmud is so excited. And he runs up and he, you know, he pays quickly and he gets it, he brings it back. And Rudesper looks at it and Rudesper says to his Talmud, that's a beautiful manayra. He says, do you mind if I could have it? Talmud like was taken aback a little bit, uh, like his Rebbe to, to ask him for such a thing and it wasn't free. I mean, it was $250, so money. He says, okay, for the Rebbe, I, I, I'd love to be Mechabed the Rebbe with my manayra. Thank you. 
Anyway, then a becher, like a beautiful becher with, you know, with diamonds in it, a very chashuva thing, and, you know, and some, and the bidding starts going, and also, shvacha bidding, it's like, it should be a $10,000 thing, it's going for like, you know, $75, $80, a Talmud, like, is like, his, his heart is pumping. He's racing, he's like, you know, 80, 90, and, and finally at 100, he's like in it, a mamash, a thousand, two thousand dollar price for like nothing. And he, he runs up, he pays for it, he brings it back, and Rebdesper looks at him again, he says, it's a beautiful bath. He says, would you mind giving it to me? So the Talmud's like making a mental note, never bring Rebbe to an auction again. And he says, okay, you know, the Mr. Melio, sure, it's yours. Anyway, v'chahena, v'chahena. The Talmud is buying up the whole, the whole auction, one thing after another, and Rabdesva keeps, for lack of a better word, schnarring every single, every single item that was sold. Rabdesva keeps saying, you know, can I have it? And he's like, you know, I, let's just go home. It's no fun anymore. This auction. I'm not getting anything from. Just giving everything to Rebbe. It's not that. I mean, I love my Rebbe, but like, you know. Anyway, they go home, and, you know, Rav is all happy, has like a whole crate full of Judaica, and the Talmud's like, he's like going back, like crying, like, you know, can't wait to get home to, you know, just make himself a, you know, a gin and tonic maybe or something, he needs to relax a little bit from this experience. Anyway, a week later, it was Arab Shabbos, and Rav was invited, Rav wife and, and children were not with him for, for much of the year, and... Uh, Rebessa was invited to this, it wasn't a buffet, it was a Kailo Yungaman, and he was invited to his house for Shabbos. And Arab Shabbos, he rings the doorbell, and he brings this whole case of beautiful Judaica, and he returns it to his helmet. And he says, This is for you. So he says, Rebbe, can you explain to me what happened there at the auction? Said, I, I've been spending a whole week racking my brains trying to understand what Rebbe's point was. And now you're giving it back. I thought at first you liked Judaica, but now you're giving it back to me. So what was Meikara Meikasar, Vahashka Meikasar, like what, you know, what, what, what transpired over here? So Desler says to him, you're my Talmud. says, I saw how excited you were getting at Gashmias. Yes, it's true, it's Tavarm Shabbatusha, it's a Becher, but at the end of the day, it's silver, and it's, and it's Tashmishim, it's not, this isn't Tyra, it's not a mitzvah, it's a chetzah, it's something that, it's a, something that, it's, it's, it's silver. It's Judaica, but it's not something that's very, very, you know, precious inherently, other than for the use of the mitzvah. But you were getting excited about the money, Shabbat. You were getting greedy. You were getting full of, like, lust in terms of how much of a killing you were making, how much, how, how great a bargain you were having. It says, that I wanted to wean you off of. So every time that you bought something, you were getting so excited about that gashmias, I asked you for it right away to take that away from you. So you should get a little bit of reality, a dose of reality, and not to get too prideful, and not to get too boastful, and not to get too excited. Your heart, a Jewish heart, should not race for money. That's not a Jewish midah, and I saw it in you that it was getting that way, and that's why I kept asking you for everything. I didn't want it, but I wanted to be madra for you, I wanted to be machana for you, that this is what a Jew should do, and this is what a Jew should not do. When it comes to money, we have to be madrich our children, to be madrich ben kaidish l'chayel. Zareinu bechaspeinu yar bechachayel, or Shrabs has a great verse. He says that why do we put zareinu 
and kaspenu together, our children and our money, and we put our children first, is because money is a great thing. We need money. But we have to keep it in the proper perspective. We have to understand that money is only good if it's used for holy endeavors. Then it's good. If it's used because of materialism, if it's used because we are so excited about the gift and about the, the gashmias and about the vacation and about, that's not good. That's not a good type of money. The money that we have to hold and hold dear is the money that we're using for mitzvahs and for taira and to be showing our children what excites us is when we get to do a mitzvah with our money with a geshmak and with a smile but not the negative part of money. To try to take the negative things away and to only leave the good, the good impact on the children. The, the Panavichirav used to be, he was a Kayin, and he would be asked to be a, the Kayin by many Pigeon Abends. You'd want, you know, you want a name brand Kayin by Pigeon Abend. It's such a rare occasion. You don't want to take every, you know, every cone in the book, like for Pigeon Abend. You want to get a Chashiva Kayin. The Panavich Rab was like the, the Kayin Gadol of the Dar. And they asked, he was asked many times to speak, and I think Kimat, every time that he would be the Kayin by the Pigeon Abend, he would speak. He was a great speaker. And he said always the following part. He says that by a pigeon that Ben were asked, there's like a, a, a strange dialogue that takes place between the Kayin and the father of the baby. And the Kayin asks the father of the baby, my is faith. what do you want more? Do you want your child or do you want the money? Meaning there is, you know, you, you have to give five silver pieces, five silver coins, to buy your to buy your child back from the kayin, he says. So what do you want? You want your child? Or you want the money? What do you want? And so he says, such a bizarre question. Like, of course you want the child. Is there is there? Of course, it's all a scripted thing. I mean, nobody. You know, maybe parents might be thinking, you know, I could use the money, but no one actually says that. The, the parent has to say, you know, I want the child and take the five slime, you know, for in, in lieu of the child. But the Panavichirov says that it's much deeper, that question, that's, that the Kayin is asking the father. The Kayin is asking, my boy's faith, you have a brand new child, and you have to make a decision with your life. When you're raising this child, what are the priorities that you're going to give? Are you going to put the priority into your child or into money? Are you going to pursue money over your child or pursue raising your child properly over money. Now obviously, listen, many times we know there are no choices. A person has to earn a living, and very often a person, you know, there's no choice. I have to I have to do what I have to do. I have to work crazy hours in order to pay for the things that my family needs, and there's no, that we're not debating. But I'll tell you a story that happened to a friend of mine, a friend that's a very, very successful lawyer. And he came home He's a partner in a major law firm. He's making, I don't know, I think seven figures. But he never comes home. I mean, he literally, in, in the field of law, it's called having golden handcuffs. You're making a ton of money, but you're handcuffed to the firm. Your whole life is the firm. Day and night, Sunday to Friday, and Matzai Shabbos, the firm, the firm, the firm. So he says one time, he never sees his kids during the week. He only sees them on Shabbos, and then he's exhausted. 
One time he says, I took off from the firm and I said, I wanted to like eat supper with my family on a regular Wednesday night. So it's like a big adventure for me to come home on a regular Wednesday night, eat supper with my family. So he comes in and you know, he opens the door and he thought his kids would be coming, running over to him, jumping, and they, they're like sitting on the floor playing with their Lego blocks. They look up and they say, Tati, is it Shabbos? The child never saw the parent except for Shabbos. So, you know, it's not, so again, a parent needs to, to earn money, but there's money and there's money. There is, you could earn six figures just as you can earn seven figures. And you have to make a decision with your life. What do you want to put the main emphasis on when we're raising our children? And that's the question that the Kayin poses to the father. I'm expecting a good answer from you. What do you want? Do you want your son or do you want the money? You can't have both. You have to make a choice whether or not your main priority in life is going to be chasing after the dollar or chasing after being mechanech, your children and our children, with the right hashkafa. And I believe that that might be a reason for the Minig Yisrael to give Hanukkah gelb on Hanukkah. Because the Greeks tried very hard to mess up our chinuch with money. They wanted to make it so oppressive that all we're going to talk about in front of our children is how terrible it is to be a Jew, how expensive it is, how much the Mizbeach, the Beis HaMikdash, the dues are costing us, how much the Chinuch is costing us. It's impossible to live. We're suffocating financially. And the Mela, that would break the resolve of the Jews, and the girls would go off the derech, and they would marry the wealthy Greeks that had all the money. Their kids went to public school. They were living, you know, on, you know very, very comfortably. And so we have to undo those corrosive effects of the Greeks, which are, by the way, still with us today. The Greeks are not gone. The Greeks are still with us. All you need to do is look at what goes on in our homes on Hanukkah. And all of the materialism that we associate with Hanukkah, that's not a Jewish concept. The Dmei Hanukkah is a Jewish concept. You know, giving sarim, great Jewish speeches, great Jewish letters. Those are all very important parts of Hanukkah. But, you know, the rest of the sarim and the rest of the, uh, the, the, you know, the toys and the games and the this and the that and all of that, that comes straight from Yavon. That's the legacy of Yavon, you know, with all of the Edom mixed in with Yavon. That's something that the Goyim wanted to do to make us, to make all of our priorities in life go completely haywire. And so what a yin has to do on Hanukkah to go against that tide is to give to Hanukkah. And to Hanukkah shows a child that this is precious money. There is, this, there is money and there is money. When we are giving you money, we're giving it to you with love. We're giving it to you together, part and parcel, with the mitzvah of Hanukkah. The Kedusha, the aura, the rays, the illumination, the beauty of Hanukkah, that every child loves Hanukkah, with that we give money. And we show that money could be a very holy thing. Money is a beautiful thing if used properly and if taken care of. And when a child first, the first time a child really makes money, I think it's Hanukkah. And if the first chinuch that we give a child with some serious money is, this is Hanukkah gel. This isn't just some money. This is money that has Kedusha involved. This is Jewish money. This is money that's affiliated with Yiddishkeit. And we're going to show you how much we love you by giving you money that hopefully you will understand the importance of money and how to use money, what money is really designed to do, and that is to spend it on good things, on Dvarm Shabbat with a smile, with a Gishmak, 
and not to be fadayet, not to be worried about money, not to be overly negative when it comes to pressures of finances, but rather to associate it with Kedusha. That is the number one chinuch. Chanukah is miwash and chinuch. And one of the major things that we are missing in terms of the chinuch them is how to raise them with the proper values of money, to be have a healthy understanding of money, that money is a very good thing if it's used properly. Money can be a very corrosive and destructive thing if not used properly. And that is what Hanukkah Gelt, I believe, represents, the undermining of the plot of Yavon to destroy our value system when it comes to the monetary, uh, the monetary priorities in our life and to make sure that we associate money with Baram Shabbatusha. And in Hashem, with the last hours of Hanukkah upon us, we should be zeichah to, to have some of these extra last-minute rays of Hanukkah to appreciate the spiritual aura that surrounds Hanukkah, like Rabbi Tenenbaum spoke, how even tomorrow there's still a Kedushas Hazman who can still make a Shachianu, there's still plenty of time to be Madrich ourselves, to Mechanech our children, with the beauty and all of the great messages of Hanukkah, and a Mitzvah Hashem, we should all be Zechit to a beautiful, tired of Hanukkah.